is listening to it. Um, has recording started? <laughs> yes, I start can't recording. See no. Recording, recording has started. started, so I need to say that nice thing about Tim again, don't we, before we, uh, we carry on with that. But no, um, Tim will listen to this and he is he's done a whiz. He's had some podcasts which have gone on for absolutely ever and he's managed to uh, turn them into something which is comprehensive, you know, people can understand, but also is um, quite short as well. So I'll leave a bit of a silence so that Tim can get a measure on the sounds. Okay, I think that should be long enough for him to to deal with that. It, it, okay. it was exactly the moment my wife walked up and down the stairs. I don't know if that's uh, gonna. I don't know <laughs> if you could hear that. I certainly could. No, I uh, I noticed the clock ticking, so um, I don't know the answer to that one. I'm just, and Tim can tell us to re-record if that's an issue. Okay, should we just launch straight into it and see how we get on? Yeah. And, uh, I will fluff the first bit for you, um, so that. Uh, put me in my. It'll make you feel it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this Primary Science STEM Insight podcast. There you go, PIDCAST podcast, whatever I said. So Pid, I told you, there you go. PIDCAST, I like it. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this Primary Science STEM Insight podcast. I'm Tanya Shields, the Primary Science Lead at STEM Learning, and I'm with Ben Rogers today from the Paradigm Trust. We're going to be discussing how Ben uses direct teacher instruction in primary science lessons. So firstly, Ben, I'd like to say thank you for your time. I know you're very busy at the moment. And with that in mind, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself, your current role as the Director of Curriculum and Pedagogy at the Paradigm Trust and maybe how you got into that role? OK, uh, hi, thank you. Um, yeah, so I, 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 I trained to teacher back in 94, 95, so I mean, not quite 30 years yet, but that feels incredibly long. Mm. Um, and I, I was a high school teacher uh, physics for 18 of those years. And um, how long ago that works out, I was ten, mm. 10 years ago, I moved to primary. So I've been teaching, I taught in two different primary schools um, uh, for, for five years. And then five years ago, I moved to Paradigm Trust as director. Actually, I moved as, a, a, as an advisor before becoming mm -hmm. um, a, a director of curriculum and pedagogy. So my role now is I, I work with trainee teachers and I work with more experienced teachers developing teaching and learning. But I've also and I've really enjoyed this working across all the subjects for um, for curriculum, really with a knowledge rich focus. But really, my, my heart is still in um, primary science. So I've we've, I've been able to work with early years colleagues all the way through to year six. And, and we still we tie it into key stage three. We think that's really important. So we've got that all through curriculum from early years up to the end of year nine for science and for the other subjects. Um, and that's and that's been really interesting. And it's actually been a really interesting time nationally for that to be going on. So it, it's all it's all worked out rather well. Yes, so you're also an avid blogger as well. So it's uh, I was having a little nosy this morning at uh, some of the things that you've written. So um, I don't know if you just wanted to mention that for people who would like to know more about the reading that you're doing and the writing that you produce. So, yeah, I, I've um, well, I can't even remember how long ago, but about seven years ago, I started blogging, thinking no one would ever pay any attention. <laughs> and I'm not sure how many people pay attention, but um, I've, I've really gotten a lot out of it. It's really helped my thinking. Um, it's kept me informed. I do a lot of reading to support that. What I tend to do is read a book, think about it, and then feel like, I know I've got to 
write about this now and uh, it just helps my thinking so if anyone does read it that's great um if anyone doesn't i, st I still do it it's still i still enjoy doing it so it's uh, it's been a it's been a good thing for me and, and actually twitter before then has been a really good thing as well um mm -hmm. i can't remember when i started probably probably uh, probably a decade ago that's shocking um uh, uh being really interested in twitter and uh, that whole movement of teachers tweeting and sharing research papers and sharing ideas that's been really powerful for me and, and I know a, a large number of colleagues so that's been a really useful development over the past decade that I think's made a huge difference uh, uh, all you know internationally but uh, and and for me as an individual as well okay I think what we what we can do alongside the podcast is provide links to your Twitter handle and to your um, to your blogs as well so that people can find out more if they wish to do so and and follow you and um, hear firsthand some of these questions that you're asking on Twitter. Great, so today we're here to talk about uh, teacher-led instruction and specifically the use of Rosenshine's principles of instruction. I know we had a conversation about this earlier in the year um, and what I found fascinating was how how your thinking had changed uh, over the course of your teaching to career and 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 where you are now. So, um, why did you st first start to explore this approach into teaching? What and what prompted you to to almost all go in and 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 do this and make the changes that you have? Well, it so I mean I did a master's degree back in two thousand, um, and I was really really excited by inquiry and people-led discovery and um really explored that but found it's a it's really difficult um and this was with older children this was with probably key stage three i did most of this um and I, i'd kept in touch with some of my students and they just it hadn't been the useful it hadn't been the useful um really powerful learning that i thought what they remembered was what i taught um, in a in a more traditional way, I think we there's there's on a Twitter the Twitter argument between the uh, the progressives and the traditionalists. Mm -hmm. um, I would have described myself as a progressive back in back in 2000, but really I was finding for myself it didn't work. And over the over over that period, and and especially by by 2012, when Twitter when I was going onto Twitter and there was a paper published in American Educator. Um, um, which is a which is an online journal that anyone can get. Mm -hmm. Rosenshine published the the, the research, the, the sort of conclusion of his research program that had been going on for about 30 years, actually. There's nothing new in this, mm -hmm. where he was he he and his team had correlated it, they'd they'd gone into hundreds of lessons with their checkboard with their checklists and their tick board, tick um tick lists, whatever they were. They were they mm -hmm. were they were observing lessons and then coming back six months later, a year later to see how those children had done. And trying to see what is it that really effective teaching those teachers in those lessons where the kids have made the most progress. What what have those teachers done? And and he and his team came up with a list. And it depends how you count it, but um, they're, they're they're just kind of really there's nothing rock and roll about any of them. It's like ask mm -hmm. a lot of questions. Well, sure. Um, make sure children do a lot of practice. Okay, great. Um, explain things clearly in small chunks. So. I mean, by this point, I'd moved to primary school education. I was learning how to teach maths. I was learning how to teach reading. And it was the sort of the, the, the maths lessons aren't, aren't investigations day in, day out by any means. They are, you might do some investigations, but mm -hmm. you tend to do a lot of straight, especially, you know, you've got the SATs coming up. You don't, you don't spend all the time letting, letting children work out their own understanding of fractions. You, you, 
you stand at the front and you might break it down really clearly. You get them to practice. You ask a lot of questions. You come back the next day. You come back the next week. You come back the next month. And you're constantly asking those questions and keeping that topped up. Mm-hmm. It, it really isn't. I think there's a misconception. A lot of teachers think when you talk about direct instruction or explicit instruction that you're talking about um, standing at the front and holding forth for 45 minutes. And that's 100 percent not what it is. It's that kind of clear teaching where you thought about what the kids need to know. You've really worked, thought about how you're going to break that down for them. You've broken it down into little steps. You do a short bit of explaining, you do some questioning, you do a bit of cold call, you get them to practice it, you model it. Modeling is a really big part of that. So mm-hmm. if you're familiar with I do, we do, you do. So I'm going to show you how to do it with a really simple example. Then we're going to do another example that's almost identical, but slightly different. It might be, I'm not going to do about pollination. We're not going to do it with bees this time. We'll do it with butterflies. I don't know. And then the third one, we'll do almost exactly the same again, but with another example of a whatever it is, so that the children have a really high success rate. They're really good at, they know what they know what you're after. They know what you're talking about. They know what it should look like. You've you've done your questioning. You've worked together. You've you've done your checking for understanding, and then they have a go, and then you do a bit harder, and then a bit harder, and a bit harder, and you really hold their hands through the learning. And the outcomes are the outcomes are really strong. Um, children feel really confident. I think there's a there's another misconception, um, especially with science, that if children are discovering for themselves, they love that. And well, I think some do. Um, I think I, th- I think some do, but I also think, uh, and it's clear that some don't. And I think the ones who mm. don't, the sort of quiet children, perhaps who really want don't know why they're doing it, not sure what they're supposed to find out know themselves well enough perhaps to know do you know what? I don't think I understood what I'm supposed to have found out from mm-hmm. that those children I feel very secure in direct instruction but also I find those children who are really interested in science um you know you they love they love especially in primary they love learning stuff and and if you can explain it clearly they feel it feels really powerful for them so mm-hmm. you know I, I I would very strongly question that sense of we do this because we do inquiry because children love it. Some might, and that's great. But, and I, yeah, some might, and that's great. I was, I, I, I am <laughs> going to say something about inquiry as well and creativity and problem solving. The point of direct instruction is to get children to a point where they know enough to ask really good questions. To really, you can't make an observation without some sort of theory in your head. If you're, if you're, I mean, I, I, um, if you're looking at, if if you go on a bug hunt and you're looking at creepy crawlies if you don't have a theory in your head about okay insects have six legs and three body parts and a spider doesn't have eight legs and, and so on if you don't have those ideas already in your head you're not going to notice them um, yeah. you know no <laughs> it took a long time for anyone to work this stuff out and you know it, it, it took um lifetimes of 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 our really intelligent people who had time mm-hmm. to spare we're trying to get in an hour of an afternoon six seven eight nine ten year olds to find out this stuff that it took adults generations to to work mm-hmm. out it doesn't happen I, I genuinely think it doesn't happen mm-hmm. and if you guide them enough fine you can do it in a really guided way but again that's really skillful for a teacher when actually you know we, we don't have enough we don't have as much time as we like and many of our many of our um, colleagues don't have science degrees don't have that confidence to be able to really feel that they can guide students in a uh, their pupils in a in a really powerful way i think it can go it can go wrong very quickly mm-hmm. but but the, the the ultimate outcome isn't just that you know you know a lot of stuff for pub quizzes um <laughs> it is about 
it is about understanding how understanding how science works understanding the world around us and it's a very efficient effective way of teaching that that has really good outcomes for pupils so uh, that, that's that's where I've come from from it that's great and I think what was um, really interesting was the very start you said you had this approach in the classroom and for you it didn't feel like your your children your pupils your students were making the progress that they needed to and the learning wasn't as effective as it should and I know on CPD we talk about what impact is this having in the classroom for teachers to reflect on the impact on the children's learning and making sure that and again we, we talk about taking photographs and sticking it in books what impact is that having on the children's learning? And if it isn't having the impact, the desired outcome, then why are we spending the time doing it? So um, I, I think that that's really powerful and giving teachers um, the courage to actually say, hang on a minute, this this isn't working for our children. So I've left a bit of a pause there, one for editing, because <laughs> um, Tim might want to edit uh, to stop there. But this next question was... Um, this might be a little challenging for you to explain on a podcast without a podcast. Uh, sorry, I'll start again. This might be a little challenging for you to explain on a podcast, but without a PowerPoint, um, what might this appropriate? For goodness sakes. <laughs> Is this are you question three? Do you think you're able to answer this or do you think you've answered it enough in the previous? Have you got more to add? I think I I think I mean, it's it's up to you. I'm happy to answer it again and then choose the best, the clearest version okay um but I, I i think i went through that list mm-hmm. it's probably i went through most of it but I'd, I'd happily i'd happily do it again as a okay then you can we'll choose. go through again and we'll let t- we'll let tim think and i'll try and say question three correctly this time so so this might be a little challenging to explain on a podcast without the visuals of a powerpoint but what might this approach look like in the classroom so i think it is a tech the the, te- the techniques that Rosenshine um, proposed are techniques that teachers do all the time um, and and perhaps some more effectively than others of course but the, those techniques won't be new to anyone and I, I can list I can list some of them off um, but but the first thing to be sure is that it isn't just standing at the front lecturing um, mm-hmm. and that, that's a really common misconception so there will be an element of teacher explaining what that what what the learning is um there'll be they'll have a really clear learning intention in mind so what it is that you want the children to be able to do or to know you break it down into small pieces you'll explain it you'll practice it you ask lots of questions all of those things rosenshine found had a really high correlation with good outcomes mm-hmm. the practicing part's really important so you'll be giving children an opportunity to to um, practice over and over again the same techniques um, and, and not just on the same day, but over time, it's really important that the children have learned it on one day. We all know this. If, you, if you've learned something on, on Tuesday, by Friday, you've forgotten quite a lot of it. And by the next yeah. weekend, you've got no, I don't even remember doing it. So, so you need to keep that drip, drip, drip. You don't need to spend a, a massive amount of time on it, but you do need to keep it refreshed. Yeah. So if it is something like how many legs does an insect have, that's worth knowing. Um, you've you've taught it. It's not a massive fact, but it is worth knowing. Um, a deciduous a deciduous tree will lose its leaves in in the winter. That's something you want children to know. Um, it's it, I, this knowledge is very much the um, the sort of rocket fuel for mm-hmm. their for their learning and their problem solving and their creativity. So it's important they have it to hand uh, fingertip knowledge. Uh, I think Christine Council called it fingertip knowledge. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's really really important. 
Um, you want to make sure that you're scaffolding difficult tasks. So this is one of the reasons I think inquiry is difficult because there's so many elements to an inquiry from knowing what question to ask, knowing how to use the equipment, keeping in mind what it is you're actually trying to find out, interpreting the data, working with your peers. I mean, it, it's all of it's really rich. But if you ask the children a week down the line, can you remember doing that? They might well remember some of the activities and they might well remember who they worked with. Can they remember what it was that you wanted them to learn? Um, well, like like you say, if, if you don't, if you don't, if you if the teacher isn't checking that they still understand mm -hmm. and still know that, then you can come away with a really um, incorrect uh, impression. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's great. And I think um, the other thing that we often talk about within science education is making sure, and this particularly with inquiry as well. And I think this came out in the latest Ofsted report, finding the optimum, that teachers' understanding are being clear about what the practical is is for as well. Yeah. So, so we have that challenge around teacher expertise, thinking about what they're doing in the classroom, what is the intention, and what they what do they expect children to to learn as a result of of that activity or that task within the classroom. Yeah. OK, so um, thinking about you, you've obviously been working in this way for, for quite some time within in your school, uh, within in your trust. Um, how has this changed learning for the children within your classrooms? Uh, I think the key here is that we change the curriculum and the pedagogy at the same time. So we were bringing in, we we planned out a curriculum, we planned out a progression model from early years all the way up to the end of year nine. Mm -hmm. And alongside that, because we felt that disciplinary knowledge and substantive knowledge were both really important. We planned that out and we worked out assessments to go alongside it. It, it made sense at that point to be talking about how Rosenshine's principles lead into the learning. And prior to that, I think one of the one of the issues, and we're talking sort of five plus years ago, one of the issues was that teacher training, because because teacher training is so short, especially for secondary mm -hmm. for primary colleagues. Um, they, they only have a day or two or three for mm -hmm. science. You don't have time to teach all the subject knowledge. And so one of the one of the things we found is that a lot of teachers were taught how to do inquiries and in, uh, activities. Um, and so uh, uh, and, and people and, and the course materials you could buy quite were quite activity rich. So people would do an activity. Everyone had a lovely time probably um, um but but learning was was really quite restricted so we 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 started all of that program going through and now we talk to children we, when i go into classes um we we when we observe lessons we also look at books but we also ask the children to talk and they're really passionate and articulate about what they've learned they're able to say what's the difference between what you learned last year and what you learned this year um they they've got that they've got that mm -hmm. understanding that they're making really good progress through through their learning. And, and we think that's really important. That's great. Thank you. And it's um, I think you've, you've talked there about actually how you implemented it in the classroom. Um, were there any challenges to bring those changes about? Because that's often something that we notice when we talk to subject leaders on courses where they have they're going back into school and they're trying to make changes at a whole school level and the barriers that they might face in bringing those changes around for a subject which maybe doesn't have the status that it should have in their school and uh, yeah we uh, when when i came to the school uh, to the trust there was a real focus i think still on english and maths in primary school mm -hmm. for the stats and science 
it was really it was really hit and miss i'm sure it was happening but you had things like science weeks once every half term which in my view doesn't doesn't address rosenshine's mm-hmm. principles because you're not you children might well learn a lot in that week and have forgotten it all by the next time mm-hmm. it comes around so you, they're not making progress they're just on a hamster wheel i guess of yeah. of these weeks so um that that i think was that was a was a part of the picture across the piece the biggest barrier i think well these two are related teacher confidence in their subject mm-hmm. knowledge yes, but also yes. their subject knowledge so i mean i think i think a lot yeah. of teachers are quite right not to be as confident as 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 we want them to be because they don't have a science background they might the last time they studied science was probably at 16 they might have got a um you know they might have been pleased with their pass at GCSE mm-hmm. and not put any thought in it since um and and you know that's perfectly normal and and perfectly understandable mm-hmm. uh, uh, so what we've done alongside when we wrote the curriculum materials we put links in to uh, websites where we knew we'd, we'd sort of quality assured the science mm-hmm. content knowledge on that that was one thing but the other thing we did and this was in 2019 it was before lockdown um but actually lockdown this worked surprisingly well for we were doing because year three would all be doing i don't know magnets mm-hmm. we and and we've got schools in ipswich we've got schools in london primary schools and we couldn't get everyone together so what we mm-hmm. did we had a, a, a weekly um or sorry a half termly but we we meet up each week to do a different subject area mm-hmm. um, online for a little half hour meeting and the subject lead leads it and so a year the year three subject lead for science in the within the trust or one mm-hmm. of the subject leads would really explain what was we, we started off just by saying this is what's coming up in the in the curriculum mm-hmm. and this is what you need to know but over time we've developed it so that because teachers have been through the, the the cycle several times we're enriching that knowledge and enriching that knowledge and what's been interesting and it, and it worked because it was online and we could carry it on through lockdown and that was that was great and mm-hmm. um, what we've noticed when we do subject reviews and we, we walk around the schools and we have a look, is that year on year, teachers are much more confident. They'll be using models effectively. They'll be using mm-hmm. analogies, their Q&As. You, you know when you don't know something and a, and mm-hmm. you're, and you're, and a child answers or asks you a question and you've got that rabbit in a headlight look. Yep. We don't see mm-hmm. that anymore. We Teachers are really quite excited to be explaining and having those managing those uh, conversations in class. So we think it's working and the children performance of they're, they're much more knowledgeable than they were um several years back so they you know they they've had a consistent plan through curriculum now for four plus years even with lockdown we we carried on with the with the program um not as effectively i'm sure but we we tried mm-hmm. to follow the pattern and so their their knowledge is really strong now the teachers knowledge is really strong and it's working that that combination is just getting better and better it's it's um it's that that feeling of being supported and I think that if you've got that network there the teachers can ask the questions and I always find it interesting that you have I'm one of these people that I'm not confident with my spelling so it's certainly in a classroom setting I would naturally go to a dictionary even for a word that I was familiar with I would go to that dictionary to to check it or you know in showing my age there um, I might check it on my phone now doing the the autocorrect and so on um, but in science we don't have that we sort of try and teachers keep it hidden what they don't know that nervousness of saying actually I don't know this when the majority of us we, we do stumble so I I do have a science background yet I find myself checking the other day 
why isn't a bird a mammal? And, and of course, I know the answer <laughs> to that. That's absolutely yeah. shocking. Yeah. But I, you have to check your subject knowledge before before you go into this and get into the habit of it. And, you know, it's if it's not in your working knowledge, just just go back and check it. And I am slightly embarrassed now, as I've, I've said that about um, a bird. Um, but it, I think that it's the habit that you get into. We, we cannot be the font of all knowledge, can we? So we have to get back and check our subject knowledge and know that we all do it. Even the so-called experts do 100%. it as well. Yeah. 100 percent yeah and we do and i i think for some you know if you're study, if you're teaching medieval baghdad in history no one <laughs> expects you to know that or even you know yeah. um the mayans or, or whatever but somehow you feel i think there's a pressure to to know this stuff for science um yes. in a way that's not particularly helpful i think it's yeah. you know it's really useful to be able to ask questions and to share it's great if you've got um you know several form entry and you've got three people mm-hmm. and you're all ppas at the same time and oh i don't know how to do that how do you do that and that, mm-hmm. that sort of conversation is really powerful but sometimes i don't know how single schools you know manage this we certainly couldn't manage it if we didn't have mm. five or six schools um working I, I think that would be really difficult yeah well well hopefully podcasts like this can can help with that and we've also got stem communities where we can have those um those conversations as well so um that kind of leads on to the the last question for this this podcast is do you have any advice for our listeners who might be thinking of implementing something similar within their school i would certainly recommend having thought through that progression Mm -hmm. of what that looks like and I think it's quite easy to forget you you might I think the the new regime of um thinking thinking through these progression models you might think of I'm going to think through plants Mm -hmm. all the way through I'm going to think through forces all the way through but to also think through that disciplinary knowledge of Mm -hmm. well not and uh, so different types of inquiry I think you need to be teaching that and I think you can teach that explicitly I don't think you want I don't think you can expect children to pick up how you do an inquiry through Mm -hmm. doing inquiry you need to teach them how to do it but also how to you know we know in maths if you want to teach children how to measure a line with a ruler Mm -hmm. that's far from straightforward Mm -hmm. it's the same with using a thermometer or using scales or using you know any any form of scientific equipment you you want to be thinking that through as a progression model Mm -hmm. as well um starting simple and building and building and building so all of those i think you need to think through your progression model and at the same time i think you really want to be working on your teacher's subject knowledge and supporting mm-hmm. them to be feel confident in the classroom um and it's, it's not the end of the world if teachers do get bits and pieces wrong i don't i mm-hmm. you know that's that's i genuinely i think there's a there's a real worry of introducing misconceptions well kids will introduce the world introduces misconceptions to the kids mm-hmm. if you didn't teach it at all they'd have more misconceptions um so uh, you know uh, don't i wouldn't i wouldn't over worry about that if you as long as your teachers are getting more and more confident over time mm-hmm. and your children are getting more and more confident over time i think that i think that's can only be a good thing that, that's that's really useful and it's uh, uh, we're trying not to talk about being wrong in science but uh, science is always changing and I, I love um, when I'm talking to teachers about how science changed so when I was a child a t-rex used to kind of sit back like a kangaroo on its tail but now we understand that um, that there's more of a, an aerodynamic based on some more evidence that we found some fossils that we found of Tyrannosaurus rex footprints and yeah so it, science is constantly changing isn't it so it's um, if we're open to that and, and flexible as well then I, I think that's that's got some real strength to it within the classroom as well there are some really good stories i don't I, yeah, I, I think this is an i haven't worked out quite how to introduce this properly throughout um 
throughout our teaching. But I think there's some really useful, um, informative stories about how science, how scientists work together. Um, I think we, I think we're probably getting better at it as a profession. Um, there's quite a lot of books out there now about scientists from with different backgrounds. So it's not purely Newton and Galileo white men but you've got you've got but, it, but you're also telling the story of how science changes I think that's a really important idea that wasn't helpful sorry we'll edit that thank you yeah okay <laughs> my dog's just barking my set I'm going to just pop you on mute for a second and go and see if things yeah. come back and then we'll do the wrap up at the end all right cool. thank you Ben see you in a sec It's all in the timing, isn't it? So, <laughs> OK, I haven't worked on my um, podcast, uh, my, my end bit, so I need to think about that. Thank you ever so much for your time, Ben. That's been really useful. And as always, I love talking to you about science education and how we can make a difference in the classroom. Um, and hopefully we can we can chat some more about how science is developing in your schools and how we can support teachers to make a difference in their classrooms. And we'll be sure to pop on some um, links to resources that you've been talking about. And yeah, keep in touch with us. That would be marvellous. Thank you, Tanya. I, I, I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you. And I will stop recording in just one second when I figure out how to do that. That's the more button. Uh, um, not letting me stop. How do I stop the recording on here? I don't know. It's going to go on. <laughs> Hello, Tim. How do I, stop I don't the think I, I, I can't do it. I don't think. So, me too. Oh, there are three dots in my yeah. bar. There and it's grayed out, but it says stop recording halfway down or 